Our scripture reading today is from John 17. You can follow along. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I have come to know, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in, I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I concentrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, this is, uh, I guess, this sermon I would consider part two of last week's sermon. And um, before I get started this morning, I just want to um, just reflect on um, the whole... Uh, 
Martin Zimmerman situation um, that happened with the verdict yesterday. And uh, as the people of God, I think it's very important that we not bury it, that we not pretend that there uh, were a group of people who feel like injustice was done, that we um, hide or not deal with subjects that are hard or deal with situations that have created a lot of brokenness um, in people's hearts in this world, but that we lean into the hurt. We lean into our own misunderstandings of why people may feel the way they feel because of a verdict. Do not run, especially from each other. Talk, share. We used to say at Christ Central Church, if you're going to be a part of this church, get ready for the cage match. There is no way out. But we hope that no one wins, but Christ comes out triumphant his sense of justice and truth. But it is not for us to iron it out on this side because this world, as we read in Scripture, is not our world ultimately. And so things are going to be wrinkled. Things are not are going to be frayed. Things are not going to come out straight or come out right all the time. But we're called to live in the fray. We're called as believers to, to walk in that fray, to walk in that brokenness and look to a Lord in a world that there will be perfect justice, perfect righteousness, and perfect unity in these situations. Hold on to the cross and each other at this time. But I urge you, don't turn it off. Don't turn into yourself. Hear from each other. And be willing to be wrong. Be willing to not know all the answers. Be willing to hear truth from somebody else that isn't in your circle. These are the challenges we face as people, not only in this church, but the people of God. You know what I hope it would do? Give you a prayer life. Because some of us need it. We'll talk about that a little bit today, that when we enter in these situations, our greatest fear sometimes is a loss of control and a loss of our paradigms of truth that we've set up and God hasn't necessarily given us. So I urge you, urge you to walk in the fray, to walk in the valley, but holding the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and each other. Amen? This week we continue, it's just fitting, exploring Jesus' final words at the Last Supper to his disciples. And just so you know before we get started, I am not going to cover, even though it's read, verses 21 to the end much. Not because it is not important, but, but because it is too important for me to try to squeeze it in here. And there's some lessons we need to learn from that passage. I'll cover it more next week. But that said, these final, in some Bibles, lots of red letter chapters are Jesus, in a nutshell, preparing his disciples for his traumatic and dramatic departure. His being arrested, crucified, and then rising and returning to, to them from the grave, only to then ascend and go back to heaven away from them. He would be leaving them in and to a world that, as he described and we explored in the last sermon, uh, that would hate on them as it hated him and what he was about, promising that, that Christians, believers, would have a rough go of it here. 
Jesus prays, therefore, for his disciples. But not only the ones who were there at the Last Supper with him that day, but all those, including you and me, who would come after them. This is what is described as the high priestly prayer of Jesus for the priest, Jesus the priest for all believers. And as his people, I'm among you too, who are slipping and sliding and struggling while at the same time standing and staying in this hateful world, simply put, we need Jesus to pray and intercede for us. And in this prayer, Jesus calls for his people to not be of this world, and he calls them at the same time to be in the world. And then finally, he calls himself to be the high priest of this world. He calls his people to be not of this world, to be in the world, and then calls on himself to be the high priest of the world. And when we say world, what does Scripture mean? That word pops up throughout this chapter in a lot of these last chapters here. World refers, so you understand, to all the systems and morals, whether we describe them as good or bad, morals, people, nice people and mean people, philosophies and ways and reasons for living, spiritualities and opinions that are opposed to and not shaped after or bowing to or or that deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. And with it, the work and will and desire of the Trinitarian God as expressed in a testimony of Scripture. Jesus says this in verses 6 through 10 and then verse 14. Read with me. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And then verse 14, I have given, given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus explains in this prayer, in, in part, what it means to be not of this world. It means that you live on this earth as someone who is now and now has become God's possession and who in turn possesses a relationship with God. What does it mean to not be of this world? It means to be someone who is his and his people and who God has become your Lord and your Savior and your Jesus, or better yet, y'all's Jesus. And another verse in the Bible, 1 Peter, it says it this way. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Jesus' teaching that that believers once were possessed by the world, by the kingdom of darkness, belonging to a world that was not of God, and God snatched them and called them and, and, and chose them and led them and pulled them and brought them and bought them and owned them out of the dark and evil world. And that now is verse 6, and then 26 says, who now have God's name. Not only does this mean that they have come to know who God is, but that to have the name means that they possess God like God possesses them. That they have a familial relationship with God. That they have God as a very own father and savior. In fact, the Bible says that, that believers call God Abba, father or daddy. I don't know if you've ever gone to the mall or in Target or something like that and someone cries out, mama or daddy. And just for a minute, for those who have children, you stiffen up. You think, is that my kid's voice? But I don't know if it's just me, but when you hear your kid's voice, mama, daddy, it owns you. It turns you. It makes you stop doing what you're doing and go to them. The other day, daddy, we see a spider on our bed. I was doing something else, but it possessed me. It made me go. It made me turn my head. It made me come and try to find and kill a spider, which I did. Then it was a bigger thing to deal with. We don't know if we want to sleep in here. People who call God Father and Jesus, Lord and Savior in this wide open world possess a relationship with God that is not the world's to have. Not of this world is when God's got you and you got God when you came into God's kingdom and then God came into you. And so you believers are not of this world. Saw the last Superman. I must have really liked it because I keep talking about it. Even though when I left, I was like, it's too much alien, right? I want to see Superman in, you know, Metropolis with the taxi cabs and, you know, Clark Kentish. But this had spaceships and ray shooting guns and all. Like, it made me realize that Superman was an alien, right? He, he looks human and... From, you know, Kelly's response, he looked a little bit more than human, but dude was pretty pumped, you know. He didn't work hard. He on the juice, I'm telling you. (laughs) But you know, it's like you see Superman's beginning in this movie, and it's like his planet Krypton is nothing like ours. His, 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 His beginning is nothing like ours at all. He just looks like us. Believers, you have had an out-of-this-world experience that changes who you are down here. Though you were physically born and raised on earth, you have been reborn, and your heavenly Father that you've been reborn unto is not of this world. 
Believers, however, are not supermen or superwomen, but I dare say that the Bible does teach that believers are supernatural men and women, that believers are not natural wonders. They are supernatural irregularities. They are a reborn, undead, spiritually speaking, divined, and and a, a, a supernatural anomaly among the human race. Because God has chosen you and called you. And Jesus says, I've given them your word and your name, and they have believed. If we were to look at your spiritual DNA, it would not match those who don't belong to God. Believers might look like everyone else, sound like everyone else vocally. You might have gone to the same high school or colleges as everyone else, but you believers are not like everyone else because you belong to God, and that changes everything. And the trajectory of of what you're about and why you do it is completely different. And the sooner we are embraced by that truth and reality, the better. The better, but not easy. Remember it's cool, though, to wear a cape looking like Superman? I used to put my underwear on the outside. <laughs> Not the white ones, see? I'm more artistic than that. The underoos. The red ones. It was cool. It ain't cool no more. See, when Jesus gave his disciples a new belief while he was with them the bible says he kept them and protected them because he was with them and he led them out of danger and out of places and now he says i'm gonna leave them dressed as those who belong to me in a world that is going to hate them and now the way they wear the lord and their belief they are going to be freaks down here they'll be hated They'll be weird. When you come to Jesus, for those who are not believers, let me prepare you. When you come to Jesus, you will lose your mojo with the world. You will lose your appeal. You will lose your coolness because you will be about and believe what the world who doesn't believe and accept Christ hates and can't accept. It'll make you want to shed your church clothes. But Jesus has sanctified them with your truth. He's going to clothe you in redeemed garb of someone who belongs to God. And I'm not talking about the outside. I'm talking about the way you've changed on the inside that affects how you live on the outside. And unfortunately... We hate being of, not of the world. And all we want to do is take it off and get rid of it and not look weird. That feeling you have is real because you're not of this world. I know it's a hard concept to accept. I just want to be normal. But you're not. You're a supernatural phenomenon of God at work in the earth. 
If that's not hard enough, he not only calls people to not be of this world, but to be called into this world that they're not of. To be in a place to witness and be in a place to be witness. You see, to be a believer is an automatic call. To be a priest for God in this world, which means, guess what? You are like the priest of God in between two worlds that are an eternity apart. That you are called to face a God in a world that you truly belong to and then turn and face and live in a world that you do not belong and will not accept you for who you are. A believer has become a priest. And the Bible tells us that the priests of the Old Testament would go into the holy place of God and face towards God's presence and be in God's presence and be sanctified, as Jesus says here, sanctify them with your truth, for that purpose would go out to the people and tell them and reveal to them what God had said and what the priest himself had seen and what God had shown them. The Bible also teaches that these priests, hear this, did not have their own property or real estate. They were in the land, but they did not own it. They didn't have an investment in it or belong to it. The Bible says specifically that priests belong to God and God was their possession and property. Why? So that they could be free of worldly concerns and focused to only be tied to the witness of God. That they were put in position in places that were not their home, but they were nevertheless called to be and live in those places to witness to what God was saying. Look with me at verse 15 again. Let's start at 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So you would assume that the next verse is, so let's take them all home. No, what does Jesus say? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, I was looking at this the other day, and I'm thinking, Jesus not only says he's going to keep you in the world, but the second half of that sentence says, keep them from the evil one. What? There's an evil one walking around? What kind of place are you putting us in, Jesus? The world doesn't hate us. And then you're talking about some kind of supernatural evil one spirit walking around? I mean, imagine if someone says, hey, look, I got this place for you. It's a little shabby, okay? You know, there's some bugs and stuff, but you'll be all right for the night. But I'm hoping and praying that the evil one won't get you as you sleep. The evil one? You better hope Jesus' prayer works. Put your kid to sleep. Hey, go to sleep. Jesus loves you. I pray he keeps you from the evil one. You think the spider was bad. You see, what Jesus is saying is he's calling us in places and positions and conditions in this world that are of this world, right? So understand what Jesus is saying here. This is not about the professional pastors like me and stuff only, but to and about all believers, he has called you to places in the systems and cultures of this world, to jobs in this world as a part of and in a company. He does not want believers in heaven with him right now or in a monastery somewhere. He wants them to go into the world to be witnesses of his truth and grace and glory that they have received and seen in their own lives. 
There's a story of a concentration camp, I don't know where, where there was a group of prisoners who had one Bible. And it was one of these camps where they kept everything dark on purpose. And there was a certain time of day, maybe around 6 or 7 o'clock, right when the light would come through a crack in the attic, I mean in the roof. And, and, and they would take one prisoner who would have the Bible in his hand, and they would lift them up on their backs, and it would just be enough ray of light for him to slide the book across to read the verses. And then eventually, after about 15 minutes, the ray would move, and they wouldn't be able to see it anymore. And they would lower him back. And when he would be lowered back into the darkness, the others would ask this question. Friend, Please tell us what you read and knew and learned about while you were in the light. God has kept us in this dark world, in dark places, and in positions. And let me add this again. Conditions, I'm going to make that clear, in this world, but lifted us out of it in in Christ to see and know his grace and truth, to have the light of Christ shine in places that the dark can't understand, to sit and live in the glory of God, to see and know what God says and has revealed and can do in the darkness by his light and be in a place then to share what God has said and done to those who are not in or won't be in the light. Your places, your positions and conditions in this world are but for one purpose. They are not the crack in the ceiling that brings the light, but they are the lowering you into place to be a witness of those who live in the light of Christ. Your jobs, your outward situations and conditions in this world are like earthly concentration camp housing. And that's where Jesus has called you to live. They are not your home. You know better. They are not your world. They are not your final state, but where God has let you stay and be. Now get this, filled with and alongside people who are truly trapped and imprisoned and in bondage by sin and Satan in the dark. That is where God has freed you and called you to live and work. Freed you to be in the concentration camps of positions and places and conditions with the sin bondage who are in the dark. Why did God put you in a world that is opposed to you and your God and the light given humanity and dignity opposed to, to his word in a world that is built to keep light and freedom and truth out? So that you can face the world with Jesus. For Jesus, offering Jesus the stuff you have and who you are in this world and how you are in this world, whether your situation has you in the hood or the neighborhood, right? In the outhouse or the penthouse, in the rich or, rich or poor, squeezed in the middle, marathon running good health, I got to take it slow and medicated bad health, popular or behind the scenes, pretty or plain, thick or skinny, black, brown, yellow or white, gifted and talented or regular, successful or disappointing, calls coming to give you a loan or to collect a loan, 500 or five friends on Facebook. These are but perfectly, 
perfectly placed positions and conditions and places in the world, each with its temptations and dangers of being deceived and dangered and badgered by devil. But these places and positions and conditions you are in are but tools of God's glory for you and then the world to experience and see the light of his word and truth and all in every situation, condition, place, and position. Your good stuff and good times and sufferings and impoverishments and struggles all of what it means to to be in this world are equally blessings of God. Equally callings of God to put you in the place to shed light in the darkness to let God meet you there and you see him and experience him there and yet be lowered into the dark world to face the world with renewed and renewing and redeeming dignity that you know and have received freely from Christ. I know y'all want the Hollywood Christian life. I've been looking for it all my life. Where things just work out. Now, if I sing the right song, if I read the right Christian book, if I go to the right finance conference, not that seeking those things aren't important, not that sanctifying our lives from from sin-based mess-ups is not important, but somehow... Here's the deal. Jesus says, let them not be of the world, right? But keep them in the world. And what ends up happening is believers want to be a part of the world. And then when things get rough, they don't want to be in the world anymore. We all want to go to heaven now. I do. I got some situations I want to go now. But my Lord, my King, My Savior said a long time ago, and I was thinking, he's just saying that to the disciples. No, he says, I pray for those who are yet to come. Crud, that's me too. You know, we have the scripture in Romans that is used a lot, sometimes not completely. All things work together for the good of those who are called to the purposes of God. But that's not a selfish verse. I hate to redo the Bible for y'all. I know y'all been praying that, hoping that good means that you can leave your condition and situation in this world and somehow have your own personal heaven on earth? I'm sorry. It says good for those who are called to the purposes of God. What's God's purpose? You be not of the world, but in it. Oh, Lord. What's it mean? All things work together for good of those who are called to God. That means I am going to be okay. I, the condition, the condition, the place and position that God has put me in, am going to continue to be good in this world for the purposes of God. The evil and the evil one will not steal and have my testimony and witness, regardless of how bad or good things get. That's what it means. It's going to work together for the good of you to be in this world, in the darkness, with the light, to share the truth. Some of you are in positions and places and conditions that don't honor you much. 
You know, one, I see a familiar thread sometimes at Christ Central. <laughs> More familiar than not. Who's joining? So-and-so is joining. What do they do? They run a nonprofit organization. Oh. <laughs> So-and-so, what do they do? Well, he works, but she, you know, has some master's degree, PhD, something, but she's going to stay home with the kids. Oh. You mean they can be honored by the world? but they've chosen roads and paths in the dark world to glorify God? Understand, the world does not see what you do for Christ as valuable. You will not get paid for it. You will not get honored you'll get less money. You'll be pickings for the devil. <laughs> Trust me. We are two nonprofit workers in one household. <laughs> and sometimes we sit around and say, why? I want out. Let's make some money. Let's stop asking for money all the time. Welcome to being not of the world, but in it. But that place and position is sanctifying and sanctified before the Lord. Now, on the other end, some of you, oh man, your jobs are honored by the world. You on the top floor, you got a nice salary. The world thinks you're the greatest. But I warn you, you are just as close, if not as closer, to the evil one eating you alive with ambition and calling you away from the Lord. Whatever your position is, whether honored or dishonored, if it's honored or dishonored by the world, it is a dangerous place to be. But it is yet the place God has called you to be. So those of you who are looking at your checkbook thinking, why am I honoring God this way? Why am I staying home with my kids? Why? You know, am I doing this? Why am I caring about these folk over here so much that I can't work as much as I need to to get the money I want? Why did I pick this major and then turn my back on the major? I mean, come on, people who are called by God in this dark world have just as much student loans as those who are being honored by the world. So you went to college. You got all the student loans. You go have a big-time job. You get saved. Become a Christian. Well, you know I really want to do work for Jesus. I want to start a nonprofit organization. Or I'm going to work in the corporation, but I'm not going to let it own my life because there are things more important to the kingdom than just doing that. And all of a sudden, the world says, oh, yeah? I said it last week, God will make your life an altar of broken dreams and ravish rejection, apathy of this world to bring his truth and glory through your life into the light. God will not only put you on the scene on your job or not much of a job and neighbors to, to, to be a witness and be witness, but, but he will make a scene out of your life. He may cause your neighbors and friends and family to see you experience heartache and mistakes and even see your sin and then watch. 
watch you repent and break and pray and turn away from your confidence or keeping it all together and turn to Jesus. And God has put you in that position. Get this. He's put you in that condition to break you down so that the world can see the light come. And you know when a light comes on? When believers sit down in brokenness and they say, Lord, help me. Lord, I turn to your word. He said the name, I call the name of Jesus. But not only God put you near suffering and pain and fear of this world. He's called you right all up in it. I've already said it. Stuff happens all the time in this world. Certain things come on the news. I want to go to heaven. D, I think it was, no, Charles texted me, not guilty Zimmerman, whatever. And then Rashid left me me a a message on my phone late last night. And I'm checking it probably about midnight or something, you know, and it's, Pastor Brown, you heard about the not guilty? Man, it must be hard to be a pastor. What you going to say? You got a lot of weight on you. I'm like, great. Believers, you got a lot of weight on y'all because you live here. Presbyterians have this thing they've embraced from the Reformed, from the Reformation in 1517, solely Deo Glory, which means all things done to the glory of God. And we have gone to work with that thing. But what we've done is we've used that truth that came out of the Reformation to fuel the American dream. And what we do is we put it behind us, right? Oh, I'm going to go do what I want to do and make as much money as I want to. Solo Soli Deo Gloria. We must ask and struggle through this question daily. Why this place or position or condition, Lord? Every day. Why do you and should you really get up every morning? There is no way you can have a job. If you're a believer, hear me now. There is no way you can have a job just to get paid. There is no way your position should just about you showing off your stuff. There is no way your position can just be about getting blessed, to live happy, to do the American dream, to make daddy and the wife happy, to even get this, make the world more accepting of a Christian like you because you do such a great job and you're a Christian. Wow! If you are living for that stuff, you are living less than the authentic Christian priest. I can almost bet that if you are successful, brokering and moving and loved and liked and honored monetarily and other ways by the world, it's hard to have a strong prayer and word life. It's hard because you don't have time to trust God. You don't have time to get to prayer meetings and Bible study. Because you're doing so good in the world. Priest of God with no prayer and word life? Priest 
and believers in Christ who have marginalized their relationship with God so much that they work too hard to set aside time, not only on the clock, but in their minds and in their hearts for the Lord? I think Christians display more than they pray. We do more work than we do word. This is more next week, but we do them and others more than we do each other. Because the world loves to honor when you act like that. And the less, I'm telling you, let me tell you the way to be successful in this world. Leave God behind more. Don't pray as much. Don't find your schedule messed up with, with community group and word and being with each other. Be with your successful good friends. Enjoy their company. Work more around the clock. You will be successful in this world. But you'll miss the glory of God for you. Let me say this. This stuff is hard because the world is so delicious and to live between two worlds is a real grind. There's no easy answer to this. As a, fact, as a matter of fact, the way church, churches fight most over what? How we're sanctified, how we're changed. What does it mean to really live the Christian life? And you go back and forth and back and forth, even in your own minds between denominations, and we do this, and this is sanctified, and this is getting a blessing, and this is what it means to be in this world, and we go back. I mean, it is so impossible to get this thing right. Well, the good news is that Jesus said a chapter back that he has overcome the world. And that is we, and that is we are his, that, that those who are his, you know, we have him and, and we are being perfected because we imperfect but sanctified priests have a priest for us in Jesus. See, Jesus is not just instructing us in this passage. If this was Jesus instructing us, we're dead. I want to leave the faith. I'd rather work for the world if this is just Jesus instructing us because the world is much easier than this stuff. Okay, you're not of the world, but you're in it. Man, the world says, come all in, right? Y'all like that term, Dabble Sweeney coined that term, okay? Not the Alabama coach, okay? Like, all in, right? The world says, you're all in, just do it, right? All the things, come on. Jesus says, you're not of the world, but you're in it. Oh, Lord. He is seriously praying for us. He is calling himself to be the high priest. Look, look, look at this prayer and what Jesus is saying and asking for. Let's look at verse 1 through 5, and we'll close quickly here. When Jesus spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who, who, whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existence existed. Now, two things here. Jesus consecrating and preparing himself to be the priestly sacrifice and then to be the high priest over all priests. Glory has two meanings here. And the first one, he says, the hour has come is what the disciples will experience, that once he comes into his own, that he will be betrayed, denied, killed, but as a sacrifice of God, not only to take the sins away and give eternal life, but so that the disciples can have power and place to be in the world, but not of the world. 
I read back in Exodus 29. If you want to read, if you like reading that kind of stuff about what happens in the Old Testament priests, I love it. Exodus 29. And it talks about how the priests are consecrated and ordained. And trust me, be glad we don't do it that way anymore. They sacrifice a bull, two rams. They grab the guts out and squeeze it in their hands. The Bible says that they take the blood and they sprinkle it all over the altar and put, put it on the fingertips and put it on the horns of the altar. And then, and then they take the blood and they sprinkle it on the priest too. And it's like now Aaron and his sons are ready to serve God. Jesus' blood was shed so you could be a priest in this world. His blood is powerful to consecrate you, to keep you, to save you, to keep you out the hands of the evil one. When you struggle through this thing, the scripture saying, look to the one who has consecrated himself as the perfect sacrifice, which is good news. You are not called to be the sacrifice, even though you give sacrifices of praise. There's an ultimate sacrifice that holds you and keeps you and calls you in this dark world and will not lose you. What is Jesus praying and promising? You are not lost. You might have sold out a little, but you are still his possession. You might have forsaken, but God, and God confused about your place and position is crazy world. But Jesus has not left his place as your high priest and advocate. And he says, Lord, sanctify them with your truth. And when he says sanctify them with your truth, it is Jesus' commitment to keep changing your heart and holding you through the hard times. In the book of Hebrews, it says this. And this is from the message. Hear carefully as I close. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing and experienced it all, all but sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give Take the mercy and accept his help. This world is impossibly hard. This Christian life is no easy thing. Today, turn your eyes and lives and prayers upon Jesus, the high priest, the priest of priests.